Well, uh, in the last couple of months in the home groups, we have been doing some training in being storytellers for Jesus. Uh, a number of people have the opportunity to prepare uh, their story. Uh, and we noticed, well, I noticed when I was looking at my story and how we prepare those uh, those narratives of what God has done in our life, it can be very easy uh, to talk, around, talk about ourselves, uh, to talk about uh, around the idea of Jesus, but not really uh, mention the name of Jesus. I'm not sure about uh, you and your story, but does your Christian story, if you're someone who's a follower of Jesus, uh, have um, some mention of the idea of a calling? Uh, you might hear it in uh, Christian circles uh, a, a lot, uh, you know, what is your calling in life? Uh, have you discovered your calling? And um, in, in my um, vocation, if that's the right word, <laughs> people often say, well, when, when were you called into the ministry? When did you feel you were called? I'm not sure what you think about what God's calling is on your life. Uh, this morning we're going to spend a little bit of time just thinking about what, how are we to understand this thing that we talk about as God's calling. And the passage that we have before us from Isaiah 6 is a fantastic, uh, really I think a, you almost get an anatomy of a, a calling from looking at the prophet Isaiah and what happened in his life and his circumstances. And what we see when we look at the prophet Isaiah is we see there a four distinct components to his calling, but I also think we can see when we look at our calling. Now, you might be thinking, what on earth are you talking about as calling? Well, we're going to get to that as we break down and look at this passage, but let's see what happens uh, to the prophet Isaiah, if we can sort of break down the four particular things that he goes through, the particular stages. And the first uh, is that, you see there in verse in those first three or four verses, he sees the Lord. He sees the Lord as he is in holiness and wonder. See there in verse 1, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. The sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. It's a powerful image. Uh, the language there, holy, holy, holy in the Hebrew. They didn't uh, have superlatives like we do uh, in the English language. So to make something the highest quality of something, they would repeat the word. So it's holy, holy would be the normal way of saying something as the holiest. But they've added a third one, even holier than the holiest, is the Lord Almighty. And then we see uh, so, well, some images there that I've been familiar with in the last week where the, the temple is filled with smoke, probably much more intense than what we have been seeing around us. And then the, door po the, the sound shaking, if anyone was up at the Garden Tap last Sunday afternoon, my band was playing a little bit too loud. 
and many people left the venue with the amplifiers turned up a bit anyway. There was that, we, we, we know what it's like to be uh, overpowered with huge sound. We know what it's like when smoke comes in. But here we have an image that is so awe-inspiring. This image of a throne. The king has died, who's been on the throne for 50 years, Uzziah. And now he's seeing who the real king is, high and exalted, with this kind of worship that is above all other worships. Now, this is the first thing that we see that Isaiah goes through. He sees the Lord in his holiness and his wonder. Have you seen the Lord in holiness and wonder? The Apostle Paul saw the Lord in holiness and wonder on the road to Damascus. He was a murderer of Christians until he saw the glory of the Lord. Have you seen the Lord? Now, some people may have had uh, particularly unique, powerful visions. But for most people, you might be thinking, well, I haven't had one of those and have I, I might not have seen the Lord. I'm reminded of uh, the words of Esther, our sister up at Minieri, who's, um, who shared her testimony when she saw the Lord. She grew up being told about the Dreamtime stories, struggling to believe that animals could create everything until she found and discovered the Bible, was taught how to read it, opened Genesis 1 and 2, and was filled with awe and wonder as God revealed to her through his word the reality of her world was made by a creator God. And so today, we see the Lord, just like Esther did, in his word, as we see his promises and we see what he has done for us in Christ. Have you seen the Lord in holiness and wonder? So that's the first thing that we see with the prophet Isaiah. He goes through, he sees the Lord in holiness and wonder, then he sees himself as he is. Verse 5, woe to me, I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Now, the phrase, woe to me, is kind of almost, I'm not sure how many people actually use that phrase seriously these days. Using the word woe to me is a bit of an ancient kind of word. But we, we, we know the sentiment, woe to me, is often, you know, woe is me when we're feeling a bit down on ourselves. We're wanting a bit of sympathy. We're a bit frustrated in life. We might be, you know... Staying up late, eating ice cream, saying, woe is me, I've had a bad day. (laughs) That's not the kind of woe is me that Isaiah is talking about. Woe to me, not because he is comparing himself to the success of other people around him. Woe to me, not because he is even comparing himself to his own standards, which I think we often find ourselves trapped by. I have not achieved the goals that I've set myself this year. I have got, not got the job, I have not got the promotion, I'm not recognised by my peers, woe is me. No, no, no. Isaiah, woe to me, I am ruined because he has compared himself to the Lord. Now how often do we find ourselves thinking, woe is me compared to the Lord? It happened to the Apostle Peter, if you know Simon Peter, he meets Jesus first time, drops to his knees, away from me, I'm a sinner. 
you hear of um, people in history like Martin Luther in the Reformation. A moral person. A moral person who knew his Bible very well, very disciplined monk. But he really came to the point where he was almost paralyzed because he found out he could not be righteous to God's standards. Woe is me. Which led to the Reformation where he understood the gift of righteousness in Romans chapter 1 and 2. Which led to him actually renouncing uh, the papal uh, structures and which gave birth to the Protestant movement as we know it today. Woe is me. That's the second component. The third is the cleansing. Now, this is an interesting little image here. It's the seraph flies in with his live coal, which he's taken with tongs from the altar, verse 7, and with it he touches Isaiah's mouth and says, see this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, your sin is atoned for. See, this cleansing, it's not like Isaiah grabs the tongs and goes in and gets the thing for himself. We see the cleansing, it's painful, it's not a soothing kind of cleansing, but it's done, it's done from the seraph from the work of the Lord who's coming to cleanse Isaiah for a purpose. It's interesting when you see uh, the ministry of Jesus, he forgives, doesn't he? For a purpose. We see even with um, the paralyzed man who's lowered down in front of uh, Jesus in that crowded room and they want him to fix his legs and Jesus sees his greatest need is his, his sins are forgiven. We had a, a dear friend of ours who um, who passed away a few years ago, had suffered horrific abuse in the hands of the church uh, and gave up the faith uh, for 15, 20 years and came back miraculously to the same church, heard the gospel, experienced cleansing. She was someone who was full of shame Shame wrongly, actually, in this particular sense, but shame that comes with the abuse that people suffer. But it was the miraculous work of the news of Jesus and what Jesus had done for her that enabled her to come back to the very place that she had been uh, abused. And now she's with the Lord. She's been cleansed. And because of that cleansing, even when she was sick for a long time, she was able to Talk to, the, talk to the medical staff. Talk to people around her. Do you know Jesus? Look at what happens in um, verse 8. We see, after receiving the cleansing from the Lord, look at Isaiah's uh, reply when the voice says, Who shall I send? Who will go for us? Now, just a few verses earlier in verse 5, Isaiah's going, woe to me, I'm ruined. As a result of this cleansing now in verse 8, we hear him say, here I am, send me. He has accepted the Lord's commission. He is ready. 
He's not, woe to me. He's, I'm ready, send me. It's not, he's not like a Jonah. He's not running away. See the confidence that comes from having your sins atoned for. I think sometimes one of the reasons we are paralysed, I guess, in our personal evangelism, paralysed a little bit in our workplaces, is that sometimes we have not moved from knowing in our heads that our guilt has been taken away. We haven't moved from that to actually letting that truth transform our hearts. So if that has actually happened to you in your life, do you see the difference that makes it? If the creator of the universe loves you dearly and every single blemish, every single fault, every single negative thought, lust, greed, has been wiped clean because of the blood of Jesus... If we believe that, then when we're thinking about the opportunities to serve Jesus, here I am. Send me. Now, we see in Isaiah's case, the message uh, that he is told to take out to them was a very difficult message. It's a, it's a tricky one, really, for us to understand. Be ever hearing, never understanding. It's picked up later in the parable of the soul. Jesus talks about there's a sense in which uh, the, me- the message of the, of the gospel uh, is good news, but it also is veiled to those who are hard-hearted. It can be a difficult... It's not a message that a commission to say, go out and tell people about Jesus and that all their lives are going to be great. They're going to get, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. He made my career go so much more smoothly, my family so much more successful. And he can do that for you if you just accept him and sign on the dotted line today. (laughs) That's not how our message goes. Our message is trusting that God will be at work. And we have a far, far more hope-filled message than the prophet Isaiah had because we live this side of the resurrection of Jesus. We have the evidence, we have the one who's gone before us, who's conquered the grave. Well, let's now think just about some of the implications for uh, this, uh, for us and our calling. I just want to ask just us to think for a few moments about whether when we think about our calling, whether we've domesticated God's calling a little bit. Maybe we have a very, very small view of what God calls us to in our life. When I say small view, I'm not saying small things like, uh, you know, um, small activities. God uses small, unimpressive things. God uses the weak to shame the wise. We know that. But when I say a small view, I mean that we often think that we are, when God calls us, and it's all about what we're going to do for the next 20 years of our life to give us a sense of fulfilment. Another question for us to reflect on is whether we've professionalised God's calling. Maybe we have got tricked ourselves into thinking that, well, God is on about making me feel fulfilled in my life, focused in my life. God is going to, we often talk in career terms, which is a very modern thing. 
I think sometimes we can confuse God's calling on our life with our calling on God to make our lives what we would like them to be. So let's think about discerning God's calling. Question to ask, what is my chief calling? Now, if you're like me, the way we first see that question is we see it in a very specific, particular way. Like, what is my chief calling? What's Rich's? What's Julie's chief calling? We're trying to think that everyone here will have a different calling. We're getting confused with the way in which the Bible uses the word calling. It is true that he calls some to be apostles and some to, you know, there's that sense. But the main way that the language of calling is that we are called to be children of God, called to accept Jesus, called to worship him. That is the calling that is the chief, that's what God is interested in. We're talking about calling in our life. It's not like calling is just, you know, some are called to be teachers, some are called to be doctors, some are called to be graphic designers, some are called to be accountants. That's not how the Bible talks about calling in that way. The chief calling is to accept Jesus as our Lord, our Saviour, to live for him and to obey him. The next question then, when we think about the specifics, is... Given that is our chief calling, what are the opportunities that God has given me to serve, to self-sacrificially love, and to obey Jesus in my context? So you, you might be thinking, well, I wish God would just, like the Apostle Paul, just tell me what to do with my life or whether I'm on the right thing and... Sorry to say that most people don't have that moment of clarity and there's nothing wrong with you if you don't have that moment of clarity. The moment of clarity that we're all called to is to come to Jesus, to give our life to him. And God puts people around us, opportunities in our life uh, to serve. God put in the path of the Morris family an opportunity and a heart for Nepal And all of us will have different things. What we're called to do is not just make the decision about our calling based on what we personally desire to do. We're called to think about sacrifice. What are we giving up? We're called to get honest opinions and input from people around us. We're called to look at the opportunities that we have. When when um, most of the Bible was written, Individuals had very little choice about what they could do with their life in terms of vocational choice and circumstances. Slaves couldn't just stop being slaves just straight away like that. There was a whole bunch of... So we must be careful when we look at the language of calling and serving God. We must be aware that we live at a time where we're blessed with a lot of choice and we're blessed with a lot of options, but we mustn't just baptise that in spiritual Christian language that God wants me to be this, God wants me to be that. God wants us to give our lives to Jesus, to worship him and to serve him sacrificially and to build his people. So I'd encourage you, if you're thinking at the moment, you're thinking, I'm feeling like in my Christian life, coming to the end of the year, feeling a little bit aimless, I'm feeling like I'm not sure if I'm I'm using my life the way that God wants me to. Well, speak to somebody about it. 
speak to your growth group leader. Think about the opportunities you might have. What are the things that you might be resisting? Where's the person in your life who you know you would love them to come to know Jesus, but you've found it very, very hard to even let them know you're a Christian? What are the things that you're finding your mind goes towards all the time, uh, which you know is uh, possibly a, almost a, an addictive ambition, an obsession? Speak to someone about that. Pray about it. I'm going to give us a moment now just to come before God in the quietness of our own hearts. And as we finish up this year, before we go into this Christmas season, this Christmas, uh, these services, pray that we'll see God as he is in his holiness, see ourselves as where we stand before God, see the cleansing that we've received and accept the invitation that we have to serve and follow our Lord Jesus. I'll give you a moment for that. Then, we'll, we'll, then I'll pray and then we'll sing together. Father, we do give you thanks for this passage that you've given us today and that we do get this glorious vision of your holiness. And we're sorry for the ways in which we find at times that we really take you for granted and we don't, um, we don't uh, see ourselves as where we are compared to you. Sorry for the ways that we compare ourselves to others. We thank you for the cleansing and the full removal of guilt that we have received through the death of your son. Pray that you'll give us all that liberating freedom to boldly be ready to be used by you in whatever context you put us in. Take away our fear and our anxiety and help us to go into this next year with a renewed conviction of your glory, your majesty, and your love for us in your Son. Amen.